0: On FM 96.3 and AM 620. News Talk WVMT.
1: Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Curt Anthony here on this Tuesday morning. And joining us now in studio, we're really excited to have him here. It's Garrett Graf, And he has just written a book, the UFO, The Inside Story of the U.S. Government's Search for Alien Life, Here and Out There. Good morning, Garrett. Good morning. Thanks for having me back absolutely yeah. I and mean, we had garrett here last year to, uh talking about uh, interviewing him on the great book he wrote on watergate which was uh finalist for the pulitzer
2: the f- finalist for the pulitzer prize in history last year yeah
1: that that yeah. is really great and we're loving it here that garrett's a local guy we get to have him right here in studio with us so it's exciting before we go to the book i just wanna how, how's your
2: dad doing he's doing great um he uh my dad chris graff longtime journalist um actually just last week is uh As of last week, the uh, new chair of the Vermont Long-Term Recovery Board, sort of uh, returning to the role that he played in the state after uh, Hurricane Sandy um, and is uh, stepping back up uh, for last year's floods. Great. And, of course, longtime journalist and also
1: was the host of Vermont This Week for many years.
2: Uh, One block over from where we're sitting right
1: now. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) So first on, on this book, and I've read it. It's a great book. I encourage people to buy it. Um, and i think it's a f- uh, fascinating topic i'm fascinated by the topic of ufos and of course it's been in the news a lot lately but i want to first ask you how much i know it had to be an incredible amount but how much work went into just researching this book when i think about you went through at in detail every event and uh and there's page after page toward the end of this of of the, the research but uh how much, into it, how do you put a, a book like this together?
2: Yeah. I spent about two years on a book. Um, now that's sort of my, my cycle. Um, and, and as you guys know, I, I've covered national security now for um, t- almost 20 years. Um, spent about a dozen years in Washington working for Politico and, and uh, other publications in DC. Um, and uh, got interested in this subject actually at a very specific moment i I am not a lifelong ufologist i'm not someone who grew up you know watching star trek and reading every sci-fi novel that i could um i got interested in this in december 2020 the uh john brennan who was just wrapping up uh, at that point, as a better part of a decade as the CIA director and the White House Homeland Security Advisor. Yep. He gave this interview to a D.C. journalist named Tyler Cowan and he said in incredibly tortured syntax, basically, there's stuff flying around out there that we don't know what it is. It puzzles me. And some say this phenomenon could constitute what some might consider a new form of life. It's a really weird statement. After 10 years of being in the position he was in. After 10 years of being in the position I was in, he was in, I was like, you know, there can't be that many things that puzzle John Brennan. Right. Like when John Brennan wakes up in the morning and has like a random question. We have a $60 billion a year apparatus of intelligence officers, spies, analysts, satellites, signals, intelligence, intercept networks that go out and answer that question, like normally in a period of like a couple of hours. Yeah, he
0: can say, what, what, what brand of toilet paper does Kurt Wright use in Burlington, Vermont? And probably find
2: out. Yep. And, and so if John Brennan is leaving his career of 30 years in the U.S. intelligence community, And saying, you know what? UFOs really puzzle me. That's probably a subject actually worth diving into.
1: And of course, as you document in your book, and I want to talk about some of the specific incidents, but um, of all of them that have been reported, I guess the thing is, is that a lot of them, after they look at them, can be explained but then there's a percentage that really can't be explained and never never were explained.
2: Yeah, I, I, I divide UFO sightings. And, and by the way, the government now officially calls these UAPs, right. Unidentified Anomalous Phenomenon, which is a change that the government has made in the last sort of five to ten years, um, both to destigmatize the conversation around UFOs, but also to acknowledge and encompass a sort of slightly wider spectrum of sightings uh, that are probably not physical objects, but are instead a uh, phenomenon, and also to acknowledge that not all of these things are flying, that sort of part of what the government has started studying are USOs, um, unidentified swimming objects or unidentified submerged objects.
0: Oh, that's a good point. Um,
2: and so what the – there are sort of – I think about it in two big categories. There are the, the sightings that puzzle the public. Um, you know, you, you have thousands, you know, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of UFO sightings a year it could be. from the public. The vast majority of which are things like the planet Venus, which is just actually like really bright in the sky. Um, Or now actually a big chunk of them are Starlink satellites, which sort of appear bright and in a straight line and sort of really weird people out when they spot them in the sky. Then there are the sightings that actually puzzle the government. And that's a much more interesting subset uh, that in rough numbers, depending on what, uh, what sort of data set you're looking at, generally account for somewhere between 2 and 20% of what are what are formally recorded UFO UAPs.
0: That many? I, I thought you were going to say 2 and 3%, not 2 and 20%. Well,
2: so the the challenge is once they get into studying that 20% that they can't explain. Yeah. A, with a fair bit of study they're able to take that 20% down to Generally, somewhere between two and five percent. The Pentagon has an office right now called Arrow um, that is in charge of sort of collecting officially puzzling government UFOs UAP sightings, and their current number is two percent of. Sightings that they, that they yeah. study, they are not able to explain.
1: We're talking to Garrett Graff. He's the author of a new book out, and I've read it. It's a great book, UFO, the inside story of the U.S. government's search for alien life here and out there. If you have a question for Garrett, give us a call on the McKenzie Country Classic Hotline, 888 Garrett, let's go back uh, to the beginning of the book, and I guess the beginning of all this, really, which, although you could go back even earlier, but is the 1940s. Yeah. after world war ii ends because i think there there was some thought there was even maybe some connection to that this sort of craze about ufos seemed to start then in the late 40s and one of the big incidents was the roswell incident
2: yeah this one of the things that really fascinated me in this research was you know my background as you talked about in the intro is primarily as a cold war historian you know that's what a lot of what my my books end up being about and The UFO phenomenon in American life is actually really deeply rooted in the Cold War in a way that I did not realize. That summer of 1947 is the dawn of what we now consider the modern flying saucer age. Um, These started June 1947, an Idaho businessman named Kenneth Arnold is flying over the Pacific Cascades, spots nine Saucer-shaped objects moving at what he reports is a tremendous speed. Lands his plane, tells some friends about this, it gets picked up by the media. This national craze kicks off. And what you see is scores of sightings over the course of that summer. Um, uh, 34 states all across North America, up into Canada. Um, And the government is just completely baffled by what these things are. And what the government ends up being concerned about is not that they're aliens. No one in the summer of 47 thinks that these are aliens. What they're worried about is that these are secret Soviet spacecraft being built by kidnapped Nazi rocket scientists. Because what is the Uh United States doing in the summer of 47? We've brought a whole bunch of Nazi rocket scientists over to Los Alamos and the White Sands Proving Grounds and are racing to build our own rockets and sort of spacecraft in the dawn of this space race at the start of the Cold War. And we're worried, not that these are aliens invading, but that it's the Soviets spying and and preparing to invade or attack the United States. Right. So and now later on in the book, of course, we find out
1: how other countries besides us are looking at this and how they're investigating and how... The Soviet Union is. And of course, they're probably looking wondering that something that we're
2: doing. Yeah. And this is part of what is complicated about untangling UFO sightings across decades is there absolutely is a government cover up about UFOs. It's just not, I think, the cover up that people think it is. It's not a, st-
0: a stash of aliens somewhere.
2: It's not a stash of aliens, and we, and we can come back and talk more about that in a bit. But to me, the the true cover up is sort of a couple of different layers. One is a big chunk of UFO sightings are actually the government's own secret projects. Um, you know, we now understand that about half. Of All reported UFO sightings in the 1950s and early 1960s were the U-2 spy plane, which was an unidentified flying object. If you were a commercial pilot flying across the United States in the late 1950s and you looked up, you saw a plane that didn't look like any plane that anyone had ever seen before flying at an altitude that planes did not fly at at speeds that planes were not known to fly. You saw a real UFO. Then today, you know, a big chunk of these are stealth fighters, stealth bombers that, you know, the government is developing, drones. And it's just that um, a UFO did not mean
1: necessarily extraterrestrial yes, beings.
2: Exactly. And the, this is where um, I think a lot of people end up getting confused because we sort of associate UFOs solely with aliens, whereas all a UFO is is an unidentified flying object. And now, what we also believe is that a big chunk of those sightings that do puzzle the US government are adversary advanced technologies being tested against us. Um, so, this is sort of the modern equivalent of the secret Soviet spacecraft. So, these are Russian drones, Iranian drones, Chinese drones, um, drones. Uh, be, you know, Tony Stark in his mountain lab cooking up something new. And what you see is that. Um, we, we know this because one of the things that the Pentagon has said in the last five years as it has been studying UFOs anew, UAPs anew, is that it it has uncovered a new heretofore unknown Chinese transmedium drone through this UAP study, so, which is to say a Chinese drone that comes out of the water and transitions to flight, which is a technology that the Pentagon did not realize the uh, that china possessed.
0: We've All right, let's go to the phones. Uh good morning. You're live on the morning drive.
1: Good morning. So I have a question. A few years ago, I was at my daughter's in Seattle and the planes go overhead, she's right in the flight path. Um so a plane went overhead and attached to it was what we would all consider the traditional disc looking UFO. And I looked and saw it go by, and then I was like, wait a minute, was that? And a friend of hers says, yes, we used those for the weather. Now, what can you tell me about that, if you could, please? And I'll hang up, and thank you for taking my question.
2: Yeah, so one of the things that, I I don't know that this is precisely what you saw, but but a huge percentage of UFO sightings over the years end up being, basically weather monitoring technology. Um, and that, um, you know, for a long time took, and actually even today are basically weather balloons, Mm -hmm. um, that, um, one of actually the most famous incidents in UFO history, uh, was, uh, right at that dawn of this flying saucer age, um, 1948, um, Captain Thomas Mantel, um, Kentucky Air National Guard pilot, World War II veteran, uh, is dispatched along with three uh, colleagues to chase down a UFO in the sky over Kentucky. And uh, Thomas Mantell takes off um, uh, and, and and chases after it. Um, he, he is the only one of the four fighter pilots to spot this object. Um, ends up giving chase to it and sort of sends this you know, pretty ambiguous last radio statement that is basically like, it's enormous, I'm closing in on it, it's metallic, it's still above me. And he uh, goes silent, they lose track of him, about an hour later they discover that his plane has crashed and he's been killed um, uh, down by the, the Tennessee-Kentucky border. And what uh, the government goes into a real panic, you know, uh, are these UFOs shooting down our fighters? And it actually takes the government almost four years to untangle that it was the government's own weather balloon that Thomas Mantell was chasing. It was actually a secret Navy project that he was... Uh, that had been launched by, of all people, General Mills, the cereal manufacturer, which oh, in Jesus. the post-war era was in the business of doing secret Navy research projects. Of course. Of course. Um, and, he, you know, it, he was encountering this thing that was about 300 feet across. So, it, you know, again, In 1948. It, I was going to say, it, these it things were that big that he could mistake it for— Right. You know, again— it was a true UFO to him.
0: And um back then, I mean, think about it, 1948, that's before we had jets, that's uh, I mean, to see something that big in the sky, yeah. it had to be a uh, UFO. And, and right. Yeah. Let's grab another call. Good morning, you're live on the morning drive.
2: I have a, this is a great conversation and fun for a change of pace. Thank you. Um what about this theory of um Alien abduction. Back in the 60s in Lancaster, New Hampshire, I think it was, there was a couple who were driving to their home, um, Betty Hill, I think it was, and claimed they had been abducted. Um, What is the take you have on that kind of thing of people from another planet, kind of, if you will? And if you ever heard of that case, thank yeah. you. Yeah, you, you, you know your history here. This is uh, Barney and Betty Hill. Um, and, and in many ways, uh, they were the first, uh, you know, UFO alien abduction story. Um, and I actually spent a bunch of time in the book on it um, and, and, and the related cases. Um, and there was a Harvard psychiatrist named John Mack, um, who in the 1990s and early 2000s, Actually devoted, you know, the bulk of his uh, study to uh, people who reported alien abductions, um, and, and he he called them experiencers, okay, because he did not want to place a, a basically a value judgment on whether they had been abducted or or not. Um, and it, it's a really really interesting corner of ufology because. Everyone who has professionally studied it, um, and, and I will say I am I am not someone who has professionally studied it, so what I'm, mean, I'm, like I'm relying on the people, uh, you know, people. who have you know interviewed and studied dozens and hundreds of these these people, um, have determined that something did happen to the experiencers that there is that there there's no shared. Um, Psychology before that, you know, it's not that these people are largely bipolar or have some other sort of underlying you, right. So doesn't it doesn't track back
0: to some traumatic event right. in their childhood or something like yep. that. There's no and they friend. don't
2: necessarily go on to develop any shared psychothe- uh, psychopathy, um, and instead these uh, there's sort of something that happens to these people that is only equivalent to the experience of other trauma victims i mean people who have sort of legitimately been through trauma yeah um and we don't really know what happens to these people or why this develops um and there is you know there's a a a wide spectrum of uh of of theories um you know in, in some ways i find uh, and this is true across a lot of ufology. I find aliens the least interesting answer in in some ways, yeah. um, uh, and a lot of, of um, sort of questions about what actually happens in someone's mind that leads to the presenting of this actual experience. And there's of an trauma. actual
1: video of this guy in New Hampshire, uh, right? Because a friend of mine told me about this some time ago, saying you got to see this sometime, where the guy's under hypnosis, hypnosis yes. right, and he's basically screaming and.
2: Yeah, um, it, you know, again, something happened to a, a, at least a, a large chunk of these people. There's sort of a separate category of people that um, I, I talk about in the book who are called contactees, yeah. um, who uh, I find sort of much less believable. Who are the people who are like, yes, an alien comes by every Tuesday and has tea with yeah. me. Yeah.
1: and uh, the the hypnotist in the end, <clears throat> though, said that the he believed the abduction did not happen. Yes. Yeah. All right, well, we got to take a break. This is fascinating.
0: We're just going to take a quick break. We're going to check in with Fox News. Amanda's got the headlines. Gary from Channel 3 Weather Center has some snow in the forecast. And we'll be back. We're talking with Garrett Graff. The McKenzie Country Classic Hotline will be open. We're talking UFOs. It's a great book. And we'll be back on The Morning Drive. It's The Morning Drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620. News
1: Talk WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Curt Anthony here, and we're continuing our discussion now with Garrett Graff. He's the author of a new book called UFO, The Inside Story of the U.S. Government's Search for Alien Life Here and Out There. And if you have a question for Garrett, I know there was someone calling in as we were headed to the break. If we missed your call, give us a call back on the McKenzie Country Classic Hotline, 888-414-0303. Um, Garrett, can we go back for a minute and talk about that Roswell incident? Yes. That was uh, the late 40s, and then... It ended up being revisited
2: later yeah. on. Yeah. So, Roswell is this fascinating incident, summer 1947. Um, again, this is right when you're seeing the first wave of flying saucer sightings I- I- in America. Everyone's calling them flying saucers that summer, by the way. Um, the, one of the great ironies is that UFO actually is a term that the government comes up with and popularizes to destigmatize the conversation around flying saucers. Um, and, and now, of course, the government has had to sort of re-destigmatize the conversation around UFOs with this new term, UAPs. Um, but summer of 47, uh, this rancher uh, outside Roswell comes into the local military base, says something weird has crashed on, on my property. Come out, take a look. Military goes out, retrieves it, brings it back. The base commander looks at it. And he thinks this is like a career-making moment for him. And he's like, this is just two weeks after that first flying saucer sighting. And he's like, great news. We've found a flying saucer. And uh, and he tells his public affairs officer, put out a press release saying we've recovered the first flying saucer. So the government actually does put out a press release. The, the military, the local Roswell Army Airfield uh, puts out a press release saying we have recovered a flying saucer shouldn't he have
0: called washington
2: first well so he puts <laughs> the wreckage on a plane to the eighth air force headquarters in fort worth where they look at it and they're like you idiot this is a weather balloon <laughs> and he and so it, 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 literally the whole roswell bubble lasts about three and a half hours between this press release going out and the eighth air force headquarters Coming out and saying this was a mistaken case of a a weather balloon. Everyone forgets about it. It goes on, you know, for 40 years, no one mentions Roswell at all. Um, There are all sorts of other sightings that summer. There's actually, um, you know, the nation just moves on. Then what you see in the 70s and 80s is the sort of rise of this idea that the government is covering up crashed crashed spacecraft and recovered alien bodies. And Roswell becomes sort of the central myth of this. The Clinton administration puts out two big reports in the 1990s uh, saying, yes, we were covering up the truth about Roswell, but again, not the cover-up that you think it was. It was a project called uh, Operation Mogul, That was a secret balloon project that the Air Force was developing to try to uh, detect Soviet atomic craft or Soviet atomic blasts. And that we were going to sort of send these balloons over the, the Soviet Union. So that Air Force commander was actually correct. It was a balloon unlike anything he'd ever seen before. It was this series of about 30 balloons. That was taller than the Washington Monument, so it would have actually been a huge crash site. Yeah, it just actually wasn't an alien spacecraft. But people
1: at that point really weren't buying that explanation either. Where there's someone you quote in the book who says something like, "Come on, they now they're giving us it's just another kind of a weather balloon that <coughs> they told us back then. Let's get the something like let's get real here."
2: Yeah, and and, and sort of by this point, um, you know you mentioned my last book was on on watergate um and, and by this point you're in a very different political and media environment you've sort of seen watergate the pentagon papers vietnam the church committee the pike committee and there's been this general collapse of trust and truth and, and trust in government institutions um and and sort of the the public or at least a chunk of the public is much more predisposed To question the government's official line
0: makes sense all right let's go to the phones good morning you're live on the morning drive
2: good morning thank you for taking my call um i definitely question the government i don't trust the government as far as i could throw them um case in point um with our intelligence community spending 60 billion dollars a year how can they let a chinese spy balloon navigate the whole country and then shoot it down. They they could have shot it down when it entered our uh, airspace over the uh, Pacific Ocean off the West Coast. So them covering up something that happened 47 years ago, I totally believe it. Uh, I don't believe a word the government says about anything. So, you know, that being said, uh, I believe in UFOs. There's no way in this universe or any other universe that there can't be any other form of life. So... Yeah, Anyway, that to me is actually one of the most interesting takeaways that I have from this book. Is uh, To me, one of the biggest revelations in human understanding and knowledge in the last quarter century is the idea that the math is on the side of the aliens. That as late as the 1990s, we did not understand that there was a single planet outside of our own solar system. And we now understand that effectively every star anywhere in the universe has planets and that actually a large number of them fall into what scientists call the Goldilocks zone, which are sort of planets that are the right distance from a star to be the right temperature to support water and an atmosphere, not too hot, not too cold
0: kind of life as we know life it.
2: life as we know it. Yeah. And, and in fact, that the, um, the uh, scientists now estimate the uh, order of magnitude habitable planets in our universe is one sextillion. That's a billion trillion habitable planets across our universe. And so to <laughs> me, like that says, you know, life is probably pretty common across our, 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 our universe and intelligent life is probably pretty common across our universe. Whether any of it is close enough for us to know Is a different question. And to me, one of the most interesting questions is what if we've missed it? Because one of the things that we're now also understanding is we're a pretty young civil we're an incredibly young civilization on a pretty young solar system in a pretty old universe. Our solar system is about four and a half billion years old in a 14-billion-year-old universe. Uh And the James Webb Space Telescope is sort of revolutionizing our understanding of star and and, uh, solar system formation. And it has detected solar systems and stars that were created as early as 300 million years after the creation of the universe. And so one of the things that just, like, boggles my mind is realizing you could have had billion year civilizations i mean civilizations oh, wow. you know far more advanced than we could possibly fathom that have risen and fallen multiple times before our solar system even began to gather out of dust and so like we might just be alone right now in a universe that is teemed with life over the course of its Existence and this to me gets to uh, w- again one of the things that I uh, was really fascinated by in researching this book is just, we we probably misunderstand first contact you know we have these sort of two ideas it just th- goes right th- by three us. ideas yeah. of you know w- how we're going to discover alien life and you know it's like the Independence Day you know the alien spacecraft appearing over the White House take me to your leader it's the Jodie Foster contact um you know unambiguous message from space to the planet earth or it's sort of the et you know sort of like lone crashed stranded traveler what we're probably going to see first is a piece of space trash we're going to see the equivalent of a like empty plastic bag blowing through our solar system and we're going to be like hmm. that's not from our walmart Whose Walmart is that from? <laughs> and it's gonna, and we're, and the, you know, it's gonna be this like really ambiguous and sort of complicated moment yeah. where we're we we're like, you know, what does this mean? What civilization is this from? Is this civilization still around? Um, and we're gonna be sort of left with the, just this like mystery.
0: More questions. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got to take a quick two minute break. We're talking with Garrett Graff. His book is UFO. Uh, the inside story of the U.S. government's search for alien life here and out there. Kurt and Anthony on FM 96.3 and AM 620.
1: WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. We're, we're continuing our interview with Chris Garrett. Not Chris. Garrett Graf, The book UFO. We're talking UFOs. And uh, Garrett, what I'd like to have you do, uh, we've got about eight or nine, ten minutes left here. Could you pick out a couple of the incidents that you document in the book that were the hardest to explain?
2: Yeah, this to me is one of the things that, um, you know, I think when you get into studying UFOs, to me, there's a subset of witnesses who are particularly and uniquely believable. Um, And the two examples that I use is... 1964 Socorro New Mexico there's a police officer named Lonnie Zamora um, he's giving chase to a speeder um, you know it's a, it's a small town like a lot of Vermont he knows who the speeder is it's, uh, it's this teen who's sort of a, a regular problem for him and so he hears an explosion off in the desert uh, and looks out in the desert and sees what he th- thinks is an overturned white car in the desert. So he's like, "All right, I, I know who the speeding kid is. I'll get him later in his catch house. Up to him, yeah. um, I'll I'll go investigate this." He turns off the road. Is sort of bumping in his Pontiac Cruiser, sort of up and down through you know the the gullies of of the desert. Gets closer. It's this big football shaped. Uh, object with two figures standing outside of it he uh, sees as he's getting closer the uh, the figures get inside the object and the object takes off and flies away and something happened to Lonnie Zamora in the desert Um, there are corroborating witnesses there's a New Mexico state trooper who shows up a couple of minutes later who sort of sees him shaken and traumatized by whatever the encounter he just had was and they can see sort of an area where there's there's been yeah there's some physical evidence in the desert of something that had been resting on the ground there and you know he's sort of a normal small town credible cop um you know this is you know sort of the andy griffith age and um not you know, given to making up some story. he's not given to making up stories you know there's actually sort of a lot of reasons that he wouldn't make up a, a, a ufo sighting as a cop in a small town yeah um and then he goes on and sort of leads the whole rest of his life totally normally it's not that he's like going crazy and then becomes one of these guys who the aliens are stopping by every tuesday right um And there are sort of witnesses like him over the years. Um, More recently, we've seen this sort of series of uh, Navy pilots, Navy aviators come out and report encounters that have been documented by videos um, and and radar sightings, Um, the USS Nimitz uh, uh, and others. um, The Navy has actually released some videos from these encounters. And again... There's a lot of reasons if you're a Navy aviator, you don't want to be the guy who comes back to the ship and says, you wouldn't believe the UFO I just saw. Yeah, because you want to <laughs> keep flying because right. immediately they're going to ground and you. And so to me, there's sort of this subset of witnesses that where their encounters are credible um, as sort of one-off weird things that they experience. Um, and you know, we don't really have good explanations now, you know, Lonnie Zamora. it's 1964. There's a really simple explanation for this, which is he was right near the white sands proving grounds. It's the heart of the Apollo space program. Maybe he stumbled across some lunar space lander being tested by the air force in the desert. Um, but, you know, it's 50, 60 years later. We've never seen any documentation come out of the government archives of any craft that does anything like the thing that Lonnie Zamora said.
0: Yeah. Well, let's grab one quick call. Uh, good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Did I lose
1: you? Are you there? Oh, I lost her. What about the, and I don't remember the country this was, but there was a, a country where there was a a... a, a Religious leader, right? Yes. And Father
2: Gill, Papua New Guinea. There you yes. go.
1: Can you talk a little bit about that one?
2: Yeah. Um, this is, uh, again, one of the most famous um, close encounters that, uh, that we've ever had. Um, and it's a missionary in, in Papua New Guinea who sees a uh, what he reports is a basically flying saucer um, hovering over the village where he is. Um, and people come out and, uh, or sorry, it, not people, a figure, it, uh, a being, comes out of the saucer and waves to him in the sky. Um, and there are a number of villagers, again, who back up this uh, in- encounter. And Father Gill, um, who's interviewed over the years by a number of people, including Jay Allen Hynek, who's the... Um, uh, a, a astronomer, sort of best associated with ufology, who who works on the government's secret UFO study program for a quarter century, and then sort of leaves the the program disillusioned, believing that there is something real to the UFO phenomenon that the government does not want to find. Um, and, and he actually writes the definitive book on UFOs in the nineteen seventies and invents the nomenclature that we now use close encounters of the first kind, second kind, third kind of which the Steven Spielberg movie is based on his book. And he has a cameo uh, actually in the Steven Spielberg um, movie. But uh, so J. Allen Hynek interviews father Gill. Um, and, and again, is sort of just left puzzled as a, as a lot of these people who professionally study this are, which is, you know, S- there's some germ of truth to something that Father Gill saw or this village encountered, um, and we don't really know what it is. And this this comes back to sort of the fundamental challenge. One of your callers was talking about it too in that Seattle sighting. There's we just don't have the sort of level of data that we would need in order to understand what a lot of these encounters end up being after the fact. And so in the modern moment where we are right now is there's just a big push by a number of scientists including Avi Loeb the chair of the Harvard astronomy department to basically build UAP study observatories so that we just have better data that we can use to understand and, and try to explain what some of these encounters and sightings actually end up being.
1: Chris, we are just about out of time. Um, can you give us a quick, do you think aliens exist? I
2: I, I absolutely think aliens exist. Um, I, I'm not sure that they're going to be close enough that we will ever know. You know, that gets back to the math on the side of the aliens. To me, part of what is amazing about this, and I get into this in the book and don't have time to get into it right now, there are a lot of really fascinating and mind-blowing explanations for what UFOs could be, even if they're not aliens. And this is where we sort of get into the, the edge of advancing science and advancing physics in ways that I don't really understand.
1: Well, it's a great it's book, great. Garrett. Thanks for being on the show today. UFO, the inside story of the U.S. government's search for alien life here and out there i encourage everybody to buy a great book
0: yeah thanks for coming in
1: yeah thanks so much for having me
0: oh it was great it was absolutely great um i can't wait to read the book then they go quick kurt don't they
1: they do and have a great day everybody and be back with us tomorrow the governor will be on with us
0: that's right right here on news talk wvmt burlington